Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn, the hump day edition of Ball Don't Lie. More importantly, midweek movie music. We were fooled again by the idealionaire Patrick Davis, who does a great job coming up with uh, the features for midweek movie music. If you don't know how it works, he takes songs from a particular soundtrack of a movie that inspired him uh, or is relevant for some reason or another. And uh, based on those selections that he plays for us on Wednesday, we're supposed to guess exactly what movie is featured for midweek movie music. This week, it is Wayne's World. And I'll admit, never seen Wayne's World. Now, I apologize. I'm not disrespecting Wayne's World. It wasn't my type of comedy, so I never, I never watched it all the way through. I remember walking in on it. I remember the moments where I was like either crowded around something, watching Wayne's World, or planning to go see part two or something like that. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm out, guys. I'm out. Not my thing. <laughs> but I, re- I remember how it was hugely popular. So I remember it was a cult following of sorts. Yeah. So I get it. I mean, it got a sequel. No, no, I, people were really excited about the sequel. And I'm sure, like most comedic sequels, it did not live up or did not. You, there's no way that they could outdo the original. No. Yeah, I'm sure maybe. It, it, most of the comedy sequels are disappointing, and it's not their fault <clears throat> at all. Most classic comedies, I've said this forever, nobody knew it was going to be a classic comedy when they made it. Maybe for Wayne's World, that's different because it started as an SNL skit, so maybe they thought, oh, man. But I don't know if they know it would be a cult following. They probably knew it would be popular because most comedies are just built on comedic timing. There's a lot of improv with comedy. Go look at the making of your favorite comedies and go, if you look at the bonus features on a DVD, go watch how much that stuff is improv. Where they just improv a ton of stuff and they just took whatever was the funniest. You can't really do that in the sequel because uh, it's not the first time you're doing it. You can't really recreate all that right. timing and that improvisation. So that's why the sequels very rarely are better than the original when it comes to a comedy. It's yeah. really hard to it's make to, a great comedy to follow up, especially when it becomes something like a, you talked about this before, like a cult classic, right? When you start looking at certain movies and you're like, why did they have to make three of these? Oh, that's what he just said. The text just said. Oh, they're uh, going to make another. Well, because now we're in the nostalgia. Everything gets remade. They're oh, making another one now. I they're think. making another part three. Yes, Is I it, believe so. Oh, Jeez. really? Okay, there you go. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a new one coming. Yeah, that's because they have no, there's no really origination. There's no originality, I should say. That's no, right? I, I will say there Innovation. are a lot of great scenes in World War, in Wayne's World 2. Like, there's a lot of good, really good stuff in it. Oh, I'm sure it is. Because it's, it's a different movie enough, but yeah, it's still... It doesn't have the because there's always this thing too. The first one you're like, oh, I don't expect it, but the second one you kind of expect everything. It's exactly right. They have to follow a certain template in the second one that they didn't have to follow usually in the first one. Yeah, right. whether it be Hangover or you know Beverly Hills, whatever it is, like they they they're having to follow that certain path to try to replicate some of what you did in part one, it almost handcuffs them to a their, their yeah, right. But they still, like, also, if you say Delaware, people can pull that joke from Wayne's World 2 if they're standing in front of a screen, a green screen, and they're like, we're in Hawaii, let's go surfing, and they're doing all everything. And then just goes, like a, Delaware goes, Delaware, we're in Delaware. <laughs> See, I, I, I bet I've just missed a lot of Wayne's World references in my life that yeah, probably around you didn't me. Know and I just never about saw it. the movie. Nope. I was I just probably, probably like, this idiot oh, so didn't even get heard my Milwaukee? Do you ever hear someone say Milwaukee? It's a Milwaukee. Yeah, so that's a big, that's in Alice Cooper. They go backstage to meet Alice Cooper and he's got the snakes and all this stuff. And they ask him, he's like, <laughs> well, Milwaukee was actually a ancient Indian. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like it? Uh, was it Anchorman? It was uh, Santiago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Santiago. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't think that's it. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to uh, Texas basketball, gentlemen. I think we were just trying to avoid uh, this uh, sad <laughs> let's talk conversation. Let's some more. Uh, exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the Longhorns took an Old Testament, old biblical-style butt-whipping at the hands of K-State. I've given a few of these numbers, but I'll just give a couple of them as to show you, give you historical context of how bad uh, this butt-whipping was that Texas received at the hands of K-State, 116-103. to 103. K-State's uh, 116 points against uh, number six, Texas, and they were unranked at the time. That probably shouldn't have been the case. But that's the most points by an unranked team in a road win against an AP top 10 team uh, since the, uh, the poll era started, which is 1948-49. Uh, also, it is the, the 116 points by K-State tied a Big 12 record um, for the most points by a team um, in a Big 12 game. Uh, the other uh, record was held by a uh, Baylor A&M game that went to five overtimes. Also, uh, speaking of the 219 combined points of Texas and K-State, uh, that was the most combined points in regulation of a Big 12 conference game, uh, beating the record of 199 points uh, set way back in 2002. Um, also, I, this is one I don't like, is the um, Texas allowing 116 points. That was the most in regulation uh, points that Texas has allowed since 1991. Uh, third time allowing 100-plus points at home for Texas since 1980. That's my lifetime. Uh, and the first time that Texas has allowed 100-plus points in over a decade. Um, the K-State's 116 points on 82 possessions. That was good for 141.4 offensive efficiency rating. Gentlemen, that is the highest offensive rating allowed by a Texas basketball team in the Ken Palm era. That goes back to when Rod B. was on campus in yep. 2002. Yeah, it was uh, one of those games that all those numbers are great and they mean so much. But the way that Texas played yesterday, and more importantly, the way that Kansas State played some nights, you just got to take it on the chin and regroup and go with it. Because I, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that a team will not go out and shoot 60% from the field, 54% from three-point, and 93.9% from the free-throw line again, especially this K-State team. Now, will they win some games? Will they play well? Absolutely. But the way that they were shooting, and you brought it up earlier, Rod, they were on the road shooting like this. This ain't oh, no. even their gym. No. And no that is out. the first loss at the mood since it opened. That is the first loss that Texas men's basketball had suffered it since it opened. And you go out there and you mm -hmm. look at it. I told you yesterday, Marquise Noel, I was talking more about his assists more than you his scoring. Did. You brought him up. And I said he's going to be somebody that we need to pay attention to because not only is he – I think he was averaging like 16 points or 17 points. Oh, no, it was actually 15 points a game. And then he goes out and he scores 36 points, 36. going 12 of 12 from the free throw line. Mm. And then Keontae Johnson was a kid that we were talking about, the transfer from Florida that collapsed on the basketball court. Yes. And he came back. Right. Yep. And his body, I'm like, ugh, that's a thick human being. Yeah, and he was out there balling yeah. with 28. Yeah. And he was 7 of 7 from the free throw line. Uh it was the, the lack of presence on the defensive side for the University of Texas in the paint. 
in the paint is something because they scored 42 points in the paint yesterday. A lot of dunks and layups. Yeah, on which is something 20, that we're not used to seeing. 29 dunks and layups. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, uh, Patrick, you were there. You were to say, how, how big is Marquise Noel? He's under 5'8". Are you serious? Under, yeah. You said 5'8"? 5'8". Five five eight. He's listed at 5'8". He's eight, shorter than me. You yes. said he's shorter than oh, me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely shorter than me. Whoa. No, he is very small. And let me tell you, when you see one of those guys on a basketball court like that, it always scares you because you have to understand how good they are to be on that court. That's true. You got to be like you understand how good you are. And that was one of the things of, you know, maybe being a coach down, the scouting wasn't there enough to teach these guys. Marcus Carr early, they were like, just go attack him because you're out, you're oversized. Just drive the bucket. Yeah. Like take him one on one and he's going to stay in front of you, but you shoot over the top of him. And he did it three times. Noel's hands. Spot the ball out. As soon as he started nope, to come up, nope. he knew where the ball was coming, spotted out his hands. So he's blocking He's blocking shots. They're steals, but they're blocks. Because Carcass going up for a shot, and the ball's out of his hand, that's and now true. they're running the other way. Yeah. And you go, man, that's just game plan. You don't see and go, hey, man, you're going to go. When you go in, you're going to turn sideways and pull the ball back in your right hand because he's going to take it from you and then go up with it. But you, if you scout it that way, you can then go against him. But otherwise, you're doing a really poor man's scouting report of, Hey man, he's like five six, five seven. Go at him. Yeah, that's basically yeah. what that, that that was kind of how they tried to attack him. But he was, but he his did, hands he was, were so quick, so quick, and he was uh, the change of direction. It was, was something that was, you, you when you watch out there, yes. I was like that dude's gone. <laughs> no, that's, uh, <laughs> he, he's that's, about that thick. Bro. Marquise, no, no, he it, was it, about it, that thick. Yeah, yeah. It, it was uh, that was yeah. He had a hell of a game, man. He's unstoppable at times. And for for Texas, the crazy part is offensively. They were played one of their best games. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Crazy. They played one of their best games of the season offensively. Tyrese Hunter, Marcus Carr, Sajabari Rice combined for what seventy two points, mm. and it was really the first half deficit that just it killed them. I mean, they were it down fifty eight forty at half. Yep. Uh, they were getting killed in the paint. Uh, 22 of those 42 points allowed in the paint came in the first half. And then Texas, they made some adjustments offensively. Uh, they hit 17 of their first 21 shots. They hit 11 straight at one point. Uh, you know, reduced that that lead to down to eight. Uh, but K-State never cooled off. We, I, I kept waiting on them to cool off. I said, oh, they'll cool off. There's no way they can stay this hot the entire game. I was wrong. I, I said they the stayed exact that same hot thing. the whole <laughs> game. No, at halftime, I was like, man, I can't wait to shoot on that rim. <laughs> Apparently, that's the best rim in basketball right now. Yeah, it was they just started falling. Yeah. yeah, it was other. It's yeah. I mean, just watching what they were able to do, and I mean, basically, it was that run early in the game where it's three three. They go on a run, and they just kind of pulled away and just stayed away for the rest of the game. And every time Texas would make a run, they'd hit a big three. They get a stop or two, and it would deflate Texas again. And hats off to the crowd, man. They stayed till late in that game. They that, were loud. That's good. Like this is a basketball building now. Like yeah. that, it's yeah. very different. So you thought the crowd stayed. The crowd was in it. They were. Okay. Saying, I mean, you're, they were in it when we we're down. We're up down twelve. They're still going crazy because you cut it down to twelve, and they're going crazy on the defensive end. So like the team, the crowd's doing fine. They're doing their end. Yeah, yeah. And, but they they usually it's almost like the it's a a symbiotic relationship. Usually they Texas feeds off the crowd, and it's part of their defensive intensity um, because that crowd noise tends to discombobulate you know, the other team, gets them a little frustrated. Texas creates some turnovers. That never really happened. They didn't no. feed off that crowd, that energy. They only forced twelve turnovers, I believe it was yep. somewhere around there, and, and didn't score off them. 
And they, exactly, good point. Yep. They, even more importantly, they didn't score off of them, and they didn't get out in transition uh, with yeah. those turnovers. Because a turnover means a lot less if you don't get points on the other end. I think, like in the first half, they had ten turnovers they forced and had five points off. Them. Right, Man. they didn't. So they, it's not yeah, they weren't effective. In wow. the, they had fourteen points off of turnovers, and Texas had nine. But the part that I keep looking at is they never trailed in this game. K State did. Nope. They never. They went wire nope. to wire. They had one That's tie when they were both at three, I believe it was. Yep. And then after that, nothing. That's a good point. And that was the biggest thing for me. And then you keep trying to figure out what's next for Dylan DeSue. Like he led the led the SEC in rebounding. He just hasn't been healthy here. He hadn't found his ground. And he's the guy that we keep wanting to look at as the rim protector. And when he goes out, there's nobody there. We thought that Dylan Mitchell was going to be the guy because he's such a high riser, but everybody's pulling him out. Mm-hmm. They're pulling him out to get him on the perimeter yep. so he's not around the rim. And the way that they were running that that two two guard, I mean, not the two guard, but the two picks up at the top, they were um, moving and backdooring, and they had they were setting screens, and he was picking which side he wanted to go. The passing that they had, the way that they were moving the ball, and then we would come back and we would have our moments. There were some backdoor cuts from Texas and easy layups and pulling people out, but once they started sagging in, it wasn't the same basketball No, and they did a thing that was really – and I don't know how much of this is game plan, how much of it's just a feel of it in the moment – but man, they really lulled you in. Yes, of they would just really just kind of sit at the top of the key and wait, and they'd Make set up in rotation, right. and no one would move for yep. like five, seven seconds, and everyone's standing there, and all of a sudden everybody moves, huh. and mm-hmm. te- they it, all you had to do was catch one guy sleeping. That's all you had to yeah. do, and one guy sleeping, yep. and then now it's wide open. Now everybody claps there, and the ball pass, pass. But they would just they would just sit there, kind of wait Lull for you to sleep. They'd a wait, bit. and then go. All right, he's not looking anymore. Sprint. And yeah. go. Yeah. And I mean, they just kind of kept doing that throughout the game where you would see them just waiting for a, a, like a little window and then they would strike every single time. Yep. And that's just discipline that Rodney Terry's got to get this team and be like, hey, man, I get that I ain't the yelling coach, but I'm about to be the yelling coach because <laughs> yeah. y'all about to lose me a D1 job. Because y'all don't want to work hard. Yeah, I heard Zay uh, Zay said something funny on uh, Chad and Zay. He said something funny a lot of times. Yeah, uh, when he was talking his yeah, basketball he analysis, he was saying he wants a raspier Coach Terry. He said, <laughs> yeah. he said, I don't want Co- I don't want Coach Terry. You in want the you want Doc Rivers game seven yes. of the NBA Finals yes. post game interview, Rodney? What do you think? <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I was watching the game. He wants him to sound like the Dark Knight, yeah. like Christian Bale. Like uh, I can't even. Basically, he's been screaming, uh, like you said, getting on guys, screaming at him, coaching his well, butt Craig. off. Well, Craig, no I just up. want you to know that <laughs> I'm gonna try to get these guys to start closing out a lot more on yeah. the on the three pointers, and they normally make six. This yeah. tonight they made thirteen. <laughs> but that's 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 basically what you're asking for. Well, it's the same point he made. And that's what we can say is what's crazy about this game is you look and you go, Texas is talented enough for sure. and good enough for sure. That even though they played really bad, and even though that K State just hit so many improbable shots in this game, they were in it. Like they had a shot. If you, if you fix those yeah. little mental errors, yep. even if K State shoots that well, you fix your mental errors. Then at the end of this game, you're it's not an eight point deficit. You're coming. You're tied right there, and you're playing in the game. And that's with them shooting sixty percent. 
you can go ahead and go, they hit everything, but it's instead of letting some of those rebounds go, instead of letting Noel run behind you when you don't expect him and no one's calling Wolf and he's coming by and getting steals, instead of all those just mental errors, letting guys back cut on you over and over again, Man. if you cut that stuff out, you win this game even with them shooting 60%. And that's where you just go, man, this is where the mental part of, man, you have a really good team, and if you guys don't want to work on defense, then it, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter because they're going to beat you with that little stuff. Yep. You have to fix that. Their pick and pop work to perfection for It did, and it's just guys falling K-State. asleep. Yep, yep. And it's, like, it's Ball fixable. Ball watching. Ball and it, watching. And that's what I'm saying. It's completely fixable, and it's going, but this you don't get a rest to fix anything. You you had your rest. You had your schedule. It's the yep. Big Twelve. You, you're playing Oklahoma it's the State. Big <laughs> yeah. you, Oklahoma yeah. State. Yeah, they have losses. Those are early losses. They ain't been losing much now. They are a very good team. I'm gonna give a shout out to Rob Babers because yesterday he brought up Tyrese Hunter, and all of a sudden Tyrese Hunter must have been listening because oh, he, he came up. out that slump real quick. He did. And started draining some shots. Now now we're gonna have his confidence back. And and you got him along with Marcus Hunter. I mean Marcus Carr. If those guys continue to play well, playing off the ball, getting open, hey, and Jabari Rice and Jabari had a great, played, great stretch, stretch there yep. in the middle oh, where yep. he realized in the second half those three guys took over. Well, yep. and Jabari Rice started to figure out that Jabari Rice, I'll say, is deliberate. He's very deliberate. He's deliberate. <laughs> That's a good and, way. Of, and that's so a good way of putting it. When you're playing it. against guys with quick hands and everything else, it can get hard for a guy like that because everything's moving so fast around you. It's yep. hard for you to do what you do. He found his pace in the second half and was able to start. Guys were cutting up and trying to take charges, and he's moving around them, and he's playing with body control to get to get layups in then hitting his free throws. So those are the type of things you need to work. You were controlling it in that second half. Mm-hmm. You won the second half, but you can't allow those little things that you did in the whole first half that ended up costing the game. Yeah, yep. one K-State basically averaged 1.41 uh, points per Possession, which is just our 12 turnovers. I mean, they're just yep. highly efficient. Very just can't let so. the team be that efficient. They actually do lead the Big 12 in assist percentage. Oh, yeah. So they, yeah, they, oh, yeah. Yeah, they move the basketball really well. They have been doing that all year long. Um, so to Patrick's point about them finding those windows, kind of lulling Texas to sleep. You talked about the backdoor cuts, and they, they've been doing that really well all year. But Man, it was. I doubt that K State, and I'm, I'm now going to keep up with you know K State's <clears throat> stats because I wonder if they'll shoot this good for the rest of the well, season. Hey, and hey, man, let's. Right, and so, they're a good team, obviously. So we know yeah, but, Noel is an underdog. He will always be an underdog <laughs> because of his size. So he can always have that grit. But once his team gets ranked, and once they start to get national recognition, do they keep that same spark going forward? Because that's another hard issue. Is it's real easy to come into Texas as an underdog and play really well because you're like, man, we want to prove it. Yeah. But now you're playing at home against Texas later in the season, and maybe now you're ranked higher. And historically, Texas has played well at K-State. And historically, K-State has played well at Texas. So if you can get that win back later in the season. But, I, I mean, that's one of those things. It's you At Texas, you have to know if you're going to get this ranking, if you're going to be this good and you're yeah. going to be in this – you got to be able to – you're getting everybody's A game, man. It's going to be a tournament and game. And I know you've got Big 12. Field. If you yeah. want to go, oh, it's Big 12 now, so it's not like we're playing against these guys that were the biggest game on the schedule. It's like, you're still Texas, man. You're still Texas. And, and, and everybody hates arena. you. In a great – in a brand-new arena where everything's yeah. nice and pretty, and they go, look, these idiots. These, they got all this money, 
and they yep. didn't want to recruit me, and they don't want. Oh, I'm gonna show them. That's every sport. You're right. Yeah. Every sport. You got deal that. Every sport. It's Texas. Yeah, no question. I, they they got to be ready for that. And in the Big Twelve, we talked about it. Whether you, no matter which rank in it, no matter what predictive, cumulative stat or model you're looking in college basketball, the Big Twelve is seen as the toughest basketball conference mm-hmm. in the country. Look at ESPN's BPI, their basketball power index, the top 10 toughest remaining uh, schedules all, in all of college basketball. All 10 of them are the Big 12 teams. Uh, Ken Palm, I believe all the Big 12 teams now are ranked in the top uh, 45 for Ken Palm. Um, also, you look at net rankings, which is a predictive and a cumulative stat that involves uh, strength of schedule, results, game location, scoring margin, all that kind of stuff. If you look at uh, net rankings, also, you got all the Big 12 teams ranked i believe in the top uh 52 it is of the uh the net ranking so it doesn't yeah. matter which stat you're looking at i mean the big 12 is just a it's just a, a, it's a death gauntlet. match it's yeah. a, it really is a death it's march a man it really is and for texas it'll you'll, it'll have you'll have similar games uh as tough as k-state probably every other week or so if not every damn week just yeah the way it is yeah yeah and i'm down with that too and but like you said and patrick's been talking about you have to go out there and be prepared to make things happen because you're getting everybody's best shot. And I know it's pretty cliche and people get tired of it. We are Texas. We are there. It's the facts. But the fact of the matter is when you come to this university, you have to not take nights off. You can't do it. Whether it's football, basketball, baseball, volleyball, swimming, everybody wants to knock you off because Texas is what everybody looks at. And everybody has something to say about it. And if you could walk around and got them on your belt. And I love what you said about them being able to, uh, once they get ranked, are they going to be able to do it? Don't forget, those coaches, those ones that are on that bench, they've been ranked. Coach Tang for, mm-hmm. for K-State oh, he's got won a national, national championship. Yeah, He's been around the game, and that's why he went and got people outside of K-State and brought in his transfers to make them understand you know what it's about. You know what it's about. Now let's go win. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. So it's going. It's, it's, it's a lot job. of work. Uh, I heard them talking this morning. And B and E talking about the Tang Train. I was <laughs> like, that sounds. <laughs> that just weird. don't sound that right. Sounds like something you that. Uh, that's not something. Yeah, I exactly. That's what I was like. Oh. We gotta see the fun of him when they they did the possession arrow. There was a there was a problem with the possession, which it wasn't a problem with the possession arrow, but it was because there was a jump ball and then there was a technical foul, which reset the, the possession arrow. Oh yeah. Oh, and okay. so he I didn't realize that. that. And then there was another jump ball, and they gave the ball back to Texas, and he lost his mind. Did he go like Sark on the production guy? The I, I mean, a little bit, but he wasn't He wasn't <laughs> in his face because he's across the court. And so the refs have to go over there, and he's like, no, it's backwards. And then they, they tell him, and they go, oh, actually, that reset. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Just bring it out real calm. 100 yeah. to 0. Yeah. Back to- hey, because you, hey, you got to know how to work the refs, man. That's part of your job oh, as a yeah. ba- basketball yeah. coach, more than any other it. types of coaches. Oh, no, you it's fun. And that's one of the, the things you get to see from my seat is I get to watch certain guys. Yeah. And there was. Uh, there was a game not that long ago where I watched a ref work himself into the game and work himself back out of it. <laughs> because he, he he complained enough to start getting calls, and then he complained so much he stopped oh, getting calls. Oh, yeah. And like he once he saw he got some, he went double on instead of pulling back. Yeah. And you were like, that's a young man for you. That's, like, that's, that's a young coach that didn't realize. And you just watch, and the refs just started getting madder and madder at him. Yep. And the calls started switching. And you're just like, 
So yeah. it's fun to watch because my vantage point, I can see I him pretty say, well. You got the and best so, seat now, and, bro. And, and, and from from coaches, I've heard it's about two things. It's about first of all, experience. Do you know the officials? Because if you know them, then you have a you relationship get a with bit of them, and they give you a little leeway because yep. you guys know each other. You have a and you guys are used to the way y'all talk to each other. For newer coaches, that can be a little of a struggle because yeah. there is no familiarity. And also, you're right. You're so right, Patrick. Find that sweet spot. Yeah. To, uh, at, at first, it can feel like the referees you compelling him, influencing him. And then it goes to he feels like you're trying to uh, force his hand. Yep. And that's yep. when a ref, I, there's a sweet spot. To don't be trying it to out. punk me, dog. Don't be exactly. Don't right? be trying yeah, yeah, to yeah. punk. Yeah. It's a man's a pride thing. Like, hey, man, don't be trying. I'll don't tell be trying you what to game was. Like it was the Rice game. It was the Rice coach who has come up through Rice and oh, yeah. and that was an overtime game. The Texans not play well in, but he worked himself into it and worked himself out of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that no, was the, that was Rodney Terry's first game. That yeah. was after that was after Chris like Beard's situation. Like, it's like, yep. like reading people. Yeah, but yeah, and those officials, you said, like those would come over to talk to us at the announce booths because they know Eddie Orm from back in the day. They know Craig Way exactly. So they'll come over and say, "Hey, before games," and exactly that's that's the key. The key is yep. if you've been in the game long enough, you know all the refs. You know how to talk to them. Got a yeah. network. You know baby. you know which ones are sensitive and which one can take the MF and which one can't take being called yeah. an MF. I tell I told my son that all the time. I'm like, hey man, don't be arguing with the ref because. They control the whistle. Oh, and yeah. I had. A, I remember I told you I had a manager tell me, "Hey, you know I got the power of the pen, right?" Huh? And I was like, "Yeah, okay, cool, exactly." All right, I hey. see where you're going like with Mac this. Mac Brown say, yeah. "Players play, coaches coach, and officials officiate." Oh, yeah, there it Everybody is. Everybody do their damn do job. Do your job. Uh, we'll come back. <laughs> I want to dedicate the uh, Rod Rod's round the day to one of the uh, the founding fathers of DBU. We'll come, come back. On we'll now. talk about that on, on the other side, right here on Ball Don't Lie, one hundred four nine horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, you've got it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Uh, time for Rod's Round of the Day. I want to get to a story that came across my timeline uh, yesterday. Shout out to my man CB. Only CB sent it to me. Um, and uh, my man CB always working hard. At Chris GB002000 in the Twitterverse. Uh, but Coach Dwayne Akina, um, one of my coach, my DB coaches when I was here and one of the most um, respected uh, DB coaches at the college level period. I always say he's one of the best DB coaches at the college or the NFL level. When I went to the NFL, dropping Coach Akina's name, I got a lot of love and a lot of uh, street cred just because of the reputation he had at the NFL level. He tweeted this out yesterday uh, because Coach David Shaw has resigned at Stanford where he was the defensive back coach, and he said, I'd like to thank Stanford players, coaches, and support staff for nine for the past nine seasons. It's been a blessing to all the DBs I've worked with. You know we will always be tied together. So many have been added to the Teach and Gold Reels. One way to go, Coach Akina. Uh, the Teach and Gold Reels, basically, Robbie's on that reel. Uh, he, through all his years of being a DB coach, takes perfect reps from whatever it be the game or even in practice and he'll put that perfect rep on his reel and he keeps it with him all throughout his career and even to this day he shows those clips of perfect reps of perfect technique whatever it may be to all of his young dbs and i've been told by young dbs rob b still on that reel so i appreciate it. and i've been told by my man coach akina i'm still on that reel as a matter of fact i remember when earl thomas told me that i had the sweetest feet he's ever seen because Coach Akina was always promoting me on the reel, so I appreciate that. You know what I'm saying? 
best cover corner my man Derek Johnson has hey, ever seen. Coach Akina did say that if he had to choose a corner to cover man-to-man on one play, he did say he'd throw Rod B out there. I'd be in the mix. I'm just Bose. saying. I'm just saying all the time. You get, there it go, is. go ask the man. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he tweeted that out. Because I think he's moving on from Stanford. We don't know what his plans are um, exactly at this time. I will plead the fifth on whether I tried to get uh, Coach Akina hired hired back here on multiple occasions. Uh, but I ain't got that much clout. Uh, but I love Coach Akina. I, like I said, I the reason that I look at the football world the way I do is because of Coach Akina. First of all, I want to tell you why, how he reinvented DBU and became a founding father. So when I was here... In 99 and 2000, Coach Everett Withers, who ended up becoming the Texas State head coach at one time, and damn good coach, uh, he was our DB coach. A little bit of a different style than Coach Akina. Old school, all right? Uh, I mean, oh, old, old school. I'm not going to get into Coach Withers' coaching style. Old school, I love Coach yeah, Withers. He's a yeah. good dude, but he was old school, man. And, um, you know, he left and went, I believe he took an NFL job, if I'm not mistaken, right after Texas. Um, and then they needed a new DB coach. They brought in Coach Dwayne Aquina. Um, he had famously been with, you know, Arizona for a long time, um, part of that uh, Dick Tomey system there. Um, had coached guys like uh, uh, Daryl Lewis and, and Chris McAllister uh, there in Arizona. So it was always still widely respected. But when he came here in 2001, the reason it was significant because he came right after Oklahoma won the national title in 2000. Won the national title running the air raid offense. And Coach Akina essentially uh, coming in with Carl Boris, he was tasked with coming up with a system, a philosophy defensively, uh, with the secondary that can match up with this air, this new air raid concept that Mike Leach brought to to Oklahoma, and they won the the national title running the air raid. Matter of fact, the second team to go to the national title running a pure air raid is this year with TCU. And the first one was that Oklahoma team that ran it back in 2000, like the purest version of it. And that was Mangino and Texas Tech had already, um, you know, hired Mike Leach, so he had already moved on. So the the air raid was already spreading. So Mac Brown already knew, i got to deal with this damn air raid. It's, it's already spreading to two schools in the Big 12, and it may be going to more. He already knew it. He was doing his, his research. He was doing his, his due diligence on the air raid, and he knew this thing's going to spread like wildfire. And it is, it's, it's effective. I just won the national title running the damn thing. So Coach Aquino comes in, think tank uh, happening behind the burn orange curtain as to how they're going to adapt to the air raid. And Coach Aquino's brilliant idea, and I even have taken parts of this, um, added to my football theory. It was simple. He said, listen, if they're going to put, because remember Mike, Mike Leach's special version of the air raid was to use 10 personnel, one back, zero tight ends, four wide receivers on the field. That was his little twist to it. That was his own little spin on it. Remember, Hal Mummy was still running 21 personnel. He was still using two backs with his air raid. Even to this day, there's still some uh, Lincoln Riley still goes back to some of those two back air raid sets. Mike Leach wants to use ten personnel, so we got speed all over the field. You got four wide receivers, and more importantly, you can you can give Mike Leach credit for this. My man Bobby Burton talked about it over at Inside Texas. Nobody emphasized, prioritized, maximized, weaponized the slot receiver like Mike Leach did. And before Mike Leach started doing it, you could argue nobody was doing it to that extent. And after Mike Leach started making that slot receiver, uh, you know, your Wes Welkers of the world, all right, the, you know, the, those, the, the Amendola types Amendola, of the world. Yeah. <laughs> Until those guys came around, and <clears throat> trust me, there have been others after that. Those just were one of the first. People weren't using slot receivers in that manner, especially slot receivers that had a specific skill set of guys who were 
quicker than they were fast. I need you to get out there break. I need you to be able to run an option route. Can you can you run an in cut or an out cut? You run a slant and can you run a quick out? You can do that and lose whoever's trying to play man coverage on you. You can work in Mike Leach's system, and and God bless him, it worked. Mm-hmm. So how did Texas adapt to it? Well, Coach Aquino's brilliant idea was simplistically brilliant. Coach Aquino decided, you know what? If y'all gonna put four wide receivers on the field, I need four corners on the field. I need four corners on the field. And back then, we were still running some base. Nickel was new back then. That was Rod B. I was playing at Nickel when I first got in 1999. And I probably started two games, two or three games. Hell, now nah, you got a Nickel starting every damn game. I started by two or three games my freshman year in 1999. And then we start facing that air raid. Oh, man, you're going to need that Nickel on the field a lot more. Um, but they were still running some base. And what Coach King said was, I need all four of my DBs that are playing, I need all of them to be able to cover. So his first secondary, look at it. Quentin Jammer moves from safety to corner. Mod Brooks moves from corner to safety. Nathan Vasher comes in. He's a, hell, he was a wide receiver, quarterback, running back that they put at nickel when he first came in and then switched him, all right, from nickel to corner to safety. Mm-hmm. And just for one season, he went back to corner actually the next year. But Coach Aquino wanted players all over the secondary that can cover. You couldn't cover, you can't play in his secondary, period. Can't cover, you can't play in Coach Aquino's secondary because his safety's got to be able to cover one on one and they can't be scared. So Mod Brooks was a safety, uh, uh, Nathan Bash was a safety, I was a corner, and my man Quentin Jam was a corner. Our corners were as big as our safeties, if not bigger. For sure. But it didn't matter. Coach Kenny said, listen, can you tackle? I don't give a damn how big you are. If you can tackle, that's all I care about. I'm looking for five tool DBs. And the guys that can cover man-to-man, that can play zone, and the guys that can tackle well in space. If I ask you to blitz, I need guys that can blitz really well, and I need guys with really high football IQ and great mm-hmm. instincts. That's all I care about. Your size, it was secondary to Coach Aquino. That's why he ended up playing smaller guys like Quandre Diggs when he was out there. Smaller guys, all right, because it was, he was more – Earl Thomas was a smaller guy. Dude, be dope. Earl Thomas started yeah. out at nickel, and then Coach Aquino said, mm, you know what, I'll put him at safety. He experimented with Earl Thomas at safety and then decided, I ain't moving him back to nickel. <laughs> I'm going to keep mm-hmm. him at safety. But he wanted all of his DBs to have a very diverse skill set so that if the air raid forced you into a disadvantageous matchup and they had you one-on-one with the slot wide receiver, the safety wouldn't freak out. He said, oh, man, I played corner for two years. I'm good. That's what I do anyway. Yeah. I do it all. And by the way, that same model was copied this year. By PK and, and company, moving your boy Anthony Cook from corner to safety. safety. They wanted guys who could cover back there, right? That's why they had to put Jaday Barron in at the nickel uh, from a corner to nickel. They want guys who can just straight out cover, especially at the safety nickel position. So that little tweak by Coach Aquino saying, no, 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 I just need I need cover guys across the board. That's where you get your, your Huff daddy because he was one of those guys that could flow inside and flow outside. Uh, Michael Griffin, even when he got to the league, Michael Griffin, how the league uh, moved him around at safety and at nickel a little bit too because he was just that diverse. Nathan Vasher, one of those guys. Earl Thomas, you told you about him going from nickel to safety. Kenny Vaccaro, good Lord. Kenny Vaccaro played nickel. He played the dime, played the strong, played the free. Hell, Adrian, uh, man, I remember when Adrian Phillips. Adrian Phillips, and I remember my man, uh, Coach, Coach Akina, told me he said he's the only player that I've ever coached that's played every position in the secondary. Right corner, left corner, dime, nickel, strong, free, played everything. And that positionless football philosophy is actually what, what allowed Texas to adapt to the air raid probably better than anybody else in the conference. And the air raid wasn't a problem for Texas like it was for most of the teams in the Big 12, once they mastered 
Coach Akina's evolutionary adaptation to the air raid, which was five two DBs and positionless football in the back end. Guys who can play anywhere in the secondary. And mm-hmm. it really worked out. That was and that was something that was a Coach Akina kind of brainchild when he came and he brought that mentality going up against the air raid. So you always gotta thank him for reinventing DBU as one of the founding fathers for that principle. Also, he was big on football IQ. He's the one that taught me you gotta be a football investigator. You're not talking about being a football yep. investigator all yep. the time. You're you're basically you're a detective. You got about 10 to 15 seconds of pre-snap clues trying to figure out or at least narrow down the ways that offense is going to export you. You got down. You got distance. You got the personnel package. You got the formation. Your film study should tell you about what that receiver likes to do, what his tendencies are, uh, what his weaknesses and strengths are. The quarterback on that down and distance based on that formation and personnel package. They like to run these a few routes, and based on all of those different clues, uh, by the time the ball snap, you've narrowed down the ways they're going to exploit you probably down to four or five plays. That's about it. You're defending four or five plays instead of defending an infinite a number of plays. You're a football investigator. I like it. And that and it really encouraged me to improve my football IQ, and that's why the DBs after Coach Akina, I think, have been some of the most intelligent DBs in Texas football history. Not saying the other guys weren't smart, they were smart too, but Coach Akina really emphasized, right? You get what you emphasize? He emphasized football IQ. You break the play down to me. He essentially broke down every DB and rebuilt them in his own image. Mm. So that you were at least a little Coach Akina out there on the field. We'd come off the field telling Coach Akina what was going on, and he, he would have – We'd have meetings on the sideline during games where he would never speak. He would tell us, he's like, I didn't say it. You know, I realized I didn't say anything, right? Realized you guys <laughs> came off the field, started yelling about the coverage, yelling about the formation. You guys talked it out on the sideline, broke it down, and said, all right, this one, we're gonna, this is what we're going to do. You're going to take the outside cut. I'll take the inside cut. We can tango the, 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 the bunch formations, but we're going to play uh, basically the safety of the top. Safety of the top, always go to the bunch side. Leave me alone, cover zero on the other side, and I'll be inside leverage. We, we, we talked to it ourselves most of the time on the sideline. He never spoke to us about the adjustments. We were making the adjustments, and that was his ultimate goal. That knows your teammate, baby. That was That's his ultimate goal. He's about. like, I'm just watching y'all work. If y'all yeah. need a mediator, I'd step in. But for right. the most part, y'all working it through. Y'all know the defense. You should. Um, so, it, it, Coach Akina, I don't know where he's going to go. My fear is that Sonny Dykes is going to hire him. That's my fear. And he'll be on that TCU staff. That's my fear. Because then we got to worry about going up against one of the best defensive back coaches in the history of college or NFL football. And then the other one, I think, which makes a lot of sense because he's Pac-12 region, if Dion hired him, if Dion Sanders, the greatest defensive back in the history of football, arguably hires one of the greatest defensive back coaches in the history of college football or the NFL, man, they could clean up because they got a hell of a resume. You're talking about Dion, Kamari, Coach Akina. Coach Akina's had six finalists for the Thorpe Award. He's had three winners of the Thorpe Award, 41 NFL DBs. Um, hell, I can't even name how many All-Americans. Uh, but, I mean, you're talking about in the 13 seasons he was here at Texas as a DB coach, Texas had a top-10 pass defense six times. So basically half the time he was here, we had a top-10 pass defense. And, hell, I think we were top five and when, we, when he was here with us. And think about that defense, mm. the, if he were to go, let's say, to where you talked about mm. with Deion Sanders, you got Tim Brewster as a recruiter as well. Yeah, you got, you got Mike. You got Mike Zimmer mm-hmm. as a defensive coordinator. Oh, yeah. You have people that are in the right place with the right mindset and the teaching ability. The problem is Dion. 
Dion gonna want to coach them DBs. No, actually, Dion doesn't coach the DBs. Well, he like only that. got a couple toes. Remember anyway. Dion? Yeah, I was gonna no. say, yeah. <laughs> remember Dion? He had given up. Dion wasn't calling plays at all. No, no, no. Yeah. So Dion, yeah, he'll personally go over there and want to talk yeah. to him. But I mean, that's no problem. Nick yeah. Saban wants to coach DBs too. He's yeah, he a does. DB guy. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, I, I I'm know. scared of that too. I'm scared of that. <laughs> but hell, we have a great CU can, uh, Colorado connection. If he ends up there, and then we got Coach Brewster there, we definitely got the end. Yeah, we got the end. We got the end. We got both. We got two of my guys there on the staff. No doubt. Uh, but watch out for TCU and Sonny Dykes. He's I been got making my sweatshirt some savvy hires. I'm trying to get mine too. Yeah. Uh, all right. We now you, back. if you get some coaches over there, you might be able to oh, get it for I'm free. Gonna, oh, I'm hit up Brewster and Coach Kane. <laughs> there you go. Hey, what's up, man? Prime time. Prime uh, time. Uh, we'll come back. We'll get into another off the record on your side right here on Ball Don't Lie. One hundred four nine Trying to take away my worries of today And leave tomorrow behind All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. A little off the record here for you, fellas. Uh, we don't have much time, so I'll be quick here. You sent this story yesterday, Harge, and um, it's, it's now blown up since. Dana White, um, the UFC boss, CEO, chairman, whatever you want to call him, he was at a New Year's Eve party in Mexico. And the longtime UFC uh, CEO had an argument with his wife in the VIP section, which was visible. It was on a balcony of some sort in a club in the section of L Squid Row in Cabo San Lucas. And he and his wife got in a fight. And in the video, which has been published on TMZ, it shows Dana White leaning down to say something to his wife. She responded by slapping him in the face. Mm hmm. He retaliated and slapped her twice. The two were quickly separated. It is clearly seen on video, and it's nothing else other than them, you know, getting physically violent with one another during this event. He was asked about it, and he said, uh, quote, me, my wife and I were out for New Year's Eve, and unfortunately that's what happened. I'm one of the guys you've heard me say for years, there's never, ever an excuse for a guy to put his hands on a woman, and now here I am on TMZ talking about it. And he went after a lot of his players. He was very critical. I mean, players. of Some of his employees. He was very critical of John Bone Jones and some of the things that was going on in his life, some of the other people. And for him to be in that situation and clearly, clearly caught on video. Oh, yeah. No, it's there's. I mean, you, you know, can't mistake it for anything else. Nothing too, else than she that. She slaps him, and then he slaps her twice. And she ends up on the ground too. She got shoved down to the ground after the slap. Yeah, I mean the that's, second one. But yeah. I mean, you know, the entire no, no, thing. I mean, it's, it's it's like disturbing. it's this very it's very disturbing. Yeah, it's. He said, um, you know, he went on to say people are going to have a lot of opinions about this. My <laughs> wife and I have been married for almost 30 years. We've known each other since we were 12 years old. We've obviously been through some ish together. We've got three kids, and this is one of those situations that's horrible. I'm embarrassed, but it's one of those situations where we, uh, right now, we're more concerned about our kids. We've shown the kids the video, oh, and we're more focused on our family right now. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Oh, I just thought about that moment where the 
try to show it to the kids or yeah. watch it with the oh, kids. Oh, the kids have probably already seen it. I know, but you got to watch it with yeah. the kids and so, explain hey, This is to exactly them. what happened. Oh, my God. Uh, Dad, we really don't want to hear what you have to say about why it happened. Yeah. No, you know it's, 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 yeah. That's no We've excuse. seen you talk crazy to mom multiple times. You know what I'm saying? Well, and the hope. The hope is that this is an isolated incident, but I always thought, and we know we've I'm, we all been in couples before. I'm married. Yeah. You're married, Harge, and you. It's always it's always awkward and cringeworthy when a couple has a fight in public. Yep, we've all seen it. We've all been around it. Where mm-hmm. uh, like, uh oh, this thing is escalating in public, and hopefully one of them either says we need to leave. If we're gonna finish, we need we need to yep. leave, or they leave, or something else, and. Um, but when it escalates to them getting, you know, physical with one another like that, the assumption is, man, if you would do that in public, what happens in private? No doubt. And if you no were, doubt. Because usually in public, everybody, you know, you restrain, you know, yeah, listen, yeah. baby, I told you, I don't want to talk about this in public. Can we please talk about this later on mm-hmm. at a different time? Because you know this is a very touchy, tensive topic for us, blah, 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 whatever it is. They didn't have that awkward conversation like, babe, let's. Pull it to the side, like or have an argument on the side, and then finish it. They just went after each other, so it does make you make you wonder, like, man, that's that's in public. Yeah, that was at a party in a, a club. club. What are you guys doing in private when you have fights? And not only that, you are the face of MMA, UFC. You are the face. Every place you go, people know it's you, Dana White. Come on now, you can't do nothing, that's bro. True. That's a good point too. You, You're you, in the public eye twenty four seven. For what, twenty years now? For, for, for sure. For a long time for now, a long you've been that time. guy. Like you, I don't know, it's twenty, but fifteen. You've been a long time. You've been that guy. It's been a long time. <laughs> you are the person that everybody. Everybody's be like, "Hey, that's Dana White." Like you're the guy. People ask, "Oh, that's Dana White right there." That's Dana White. Yeah, that's, that, that's definitely Dana. Yes. Yeah, I'm yeah, with that, you. I don't know how that happens. Yeah, that's that's a sad story. Very very sad story, and it's something that is going to be addressed. But who's going to fire him? Well, he ain't the owner. He works for the UFC. Well, that's right. Yeah, he got he, sold. He used that's to be. Right. Yeah. He yes. used now, to be. Yeah. There are like, there are owners. That's a good point. Yeah. That's, there that's is true. some people you're going to have to gonna hold to, him account because he's like the public face of it. But yeah. right. That's a good point. He does have bosses now. And again, he tried to be the one to get out in front of it. Tried to be the one oh, before anybody else said anything. He <laughs> addressed it right away and everything. But it still don't make it right. It, yeah, yeah, I mean, just because you addressed it, don't. I mean, we saw it. You're not. A, I'll admit, I'm not going to call you a coward for because you did address it. But that that was a cowardice move. Yeah, yeah, that was a cowardly move. Right, that was. You, you, you know, I, I know she did hit him. That, that's. You know, that's your wife. Yeah. You don't you claim self defense with your wife? Yeah, exactly. And you could I was protecting myself. I guess you could. Like, what? You got security with you everywhere. Come Why, on. Where's your security from grabbing her and telling her, Hey, you gotta move or grabbing you and saying, No, man. We've talked about this with the Chris Beer situation. Yes. Guys, you already know the deal. You need to get the hell out you of You need now. to leave. You need to leave. So as it escalates man. to a point where you believe you've either She's lost control, or your partner's lost control, or you're gonna lose control. Just get the Keep hell out of there out. before it yep. gets physical. Just leave. And I know they'll yell at you for leaving, but you can always resolve that. We could talk about it after we, we talk calm about that. Down. Just get the hell out of there. Yep. Go. Yep. Just go. I don't even care who's right or wrong. Get as my experience, get the hell out of there. Get up out of there. Flee. Yeah. <laughs> Flee. I, no, I've done it, dude. Just yep. run. Just yep. run the other direction. Yep. Like you know what's happening. You know what is happening. You know what's happening. You're like, yep. oh, it's getting crazy. Get the hell out of there. It's escalating quick. Yep. Get the hell out of there. Yep. All right, we'll come we'll come back. We'll get into NFL playoff scenarios, NFL news, notes, and nuggets. Donovan Mitchell scoring 71 points. The NBA <laughs> is crazy this year. We'll talk about it on the other side, right here on Ball Don't Lie on 149.